Hello and welcome back to What Do You Know For Sure podcast with me, Anne Hughes. Today I'm joined by Jane Wright and I have to say this is a very authentic conversation. I think Jane really shares probably more than I expected her to. Jane is a journalist so I know she's very comfortable getting all the info out of other people and wondered how she would therefore be about sharing her her story, her thinking, her knowings with me. What Jane knows for sure is that we are more powerful than we think and this is reflecting on a cancer diagnosis during lockdown. We talk about ageing being a gift. We talk about the menopause, about how spectacular women are and how we are so often undervalued. And that real sense of overcoming fear to recognise our power and sort of a wishing, and I think we both really resonate on this, that we had the wisdom that we have now, that we had that when we were in our 20s. Can you imagine what we could have achieved? This is definitely a conversation about finding inner strength, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it. Jane, thank you for joining me on the podcast. You're very welcome. Yes, nice to be here. So thank you. Tell us a wee bit about you, Jane. Okay, so I am 55. I'm a journalist and an editor. Uh, I'm mostly free. Freelance, um, but I also work for uh, a news platform called The Conversation, which works as providing explanatory news, uh, explanatory journalism that's written by academics, but it's edited by journalists. So we see ourselves as a news platform that people can come to when they want the facts, when they want information they can rely on, when they want expertise. So uh, that's been going for a few years now, about six years in the UK, and I work out Glasgow. There's no office in Glasgow, um, but there's two of us in Scotland. And the rest of the week, so I do that three days a week, and the rest of the week I am supposed to be a freelance journalist, but mainly I'm looking after my dad, so I'm a carer for my dad. I used to work in London until 2016. My mum has Alzheimer's, and we looked after her at home. Yeah. So I used to come up twice a month from London. And then when my mum died, my dad kind of, he'd been our primary carer, but he just suddenly, well, it seemed to me suddenly that he declined quite quickly after she died. Not mentally, he's very, very sharp, but physically he declined. And it soon became clear that he was going to need more care. Yeah. So I think lots of things happened at once. My mum died. I started going through the menopause. I think this is quite common. And all these sort of things fell on me at once. And I just thought, I'm just going to come home Mm -hmm. because I've always had a flat in Glasgow. So I came home and uh, I grew up in a wee town in Lanarkshire called Kerluk in the country. We live in a farm. And uh, so I moved back home into my childhood bedroom at the age of 50. Wow. (laughs) And um, became my dad's carer. I've also got a younger brother who lived at home and he's got a learning disability. So the three of us were back living under the same roof. But we've just managed to launch him. At the beginning of last year, we got him his own flat and that was the first time he'd lived independently in his late 40s. So, uh, and then lockdown happened and then he just moved into his own flat and I just thought 
this is maybe not a good idea, I might be quite lonely. So I said, I think you should probably come back home uh-huh. and be in our wee bubble back at home. So good. the last year it has been the three of us living at home. David, my brother, has just gone back to his flat now, so it's just me and my dad on our own. And I've always worked remotely, so it's really funny because when lockdown started, lots of people were, you know, complaining about this way of life. But, you know, it was it was just my life exactly. I lived at home. I worked at home. I didn't go out very much. <laughs> nothing, nothing changed nothing for me when I came along, so I was quite used to it. Hi. Good day. Thank you. Thank you for that, Jane. So tell me, and I, I feel as if you've got a lot of wisdom because you've done a lot of living, I feel, and you've been a, a journalist for such a long time, so you've talked to a lot of people, I'm thinking. So tell me, what do yeah. you know for sure? Well, what I've become sure of in the last year is that we are more powerful than we think and lockdown has been a really testing time for for everybody but for me you know life was going along quite normally I was working on a book uh, with a friend of mine called Lilia Sinclair that you know mm-hmm. and I'm working on a book with her and a medical herbalist called Claire Hollihan who lives up in Lochalan and it's not Ardnamurchan, it's just south of Ardnamurchan, Morven, Morven. And uh, we were working on this book, um, which is really about foraging, mm-hmm. foraging Scotland's, it's called Scotland's Wild Medicine, um, reconnecting with nature for health and well-being. Yeah. Health, happiness and well-being. And so that's, we were just um, putting this book together. Claire was going to talk about write about them foraging for plants because that's what she does and Lilia was talking about how important it is especially in times of lockdown if we can reconnect to nature more because it just helps our head and it helps our bodies and fresh air and we can go outside and I was to be the editor of this but I am the editor of this book so we were just getting started on that when in July I found a lump in my left breast and uh my mum had breast cancer, so I suppose in a way I always wondered mm. if I might get it. Or, mm. but personally, I don't know. And that kind of arrogance, <laughs> I just thought that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to yeah. dodge that particular bullet. So I remember the day I woke up because because my mum had breast cancer, I used to always check myself in the shower, just kind of absentmindedly, and there was this lump, and I was pretty shocked. And then I thought. Can you even see a doctor right now? But mm. I phoned up my doctor, very good. I went up. She had a look at it, felt it, and she said, oh, yes, that is definitely a lump. She said, could be nothing, probably is nothing. We should get you seen in about two weeks. Mm. So two weeks came and went, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And that, for me, was the worst mm. point of it all because you're just waiting and you don't know. So at that point, you could travel. So I took myself off to see a friend of mine who'd had breast cancer the year before, and she was living in Gibraltar. So I went out there um, while I was waiting to hear when I would get my uh, appointment. And I just spent some time with her. And I was very conscious the whole time that when something like this happens to you and you're just filled with anxiety because... It's the not knowing. Yeah, I just thought. I remember thinking, you have to get a hold of yourself, or you're just going to spiral into anxiety. 
So she had been through it all and she'd actually had a mastectomy. So she had really been through the ringer. But she was really, really helpful and helped me stay grounded. And eventually uh, when I when I got back home, although by this time the rules had changed and I had to quarantine for 10 days and and I couldn't have my appointment. <laughs> that time I'd been given an appointment, but of course I couldn't go, so I had to wait. So I ended up waiting six weeks. And then when I went to the hospital, I had uh, two mammograms and uh, ultrasound. And uh, what was quite unusual was that they were able to tell me there on the day, because mm. usually biopsy, that's an ultrasound, two mammograms, an ultrasound and a biopsy. And I thought, well, you have to wait for a biopsy before you get the results. But... Um, there was three women, three doctors, all younger than me. And and they were able to tell me by the end of the morning, so after an hour and a half, they sat me down. And I remember being very, very calm. And of course, I was on my own because you couldn't take anyone in with you. Yeah. But in the end, I was quite glad of that because sometimes I think in situations like that, you're, you're worried about the people you're with and how they're mm-hmm. going to take it. And it's hard enough dealing with your own reactions. So they said... We're 99% sure this is breast cancer. So I knew there and then I didn't have to wait. Mm. And I was like, right. And I just remember going, okay, that's it. I know now, which Mm -hmm. is better than not knowing. So I have to just get on with it. So after that, it all moved very quickly. and, um, And within a week, I'd had my surgery and I was out again. But I think... Something like cancer, it's such a sort of, such a loaded, scary word. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people are, people are terrified of it. And I think, well, I certainly in the past, you always think, I wonder what, how I would react if I was, if I was told that I had cancer. And, and I just always thought, you know, you would just fall into a pit of despair and you would be really frightened. Mm-hmm. But I think um, because I'd waited for so long and, I just decided that I didn't want to live in fear mm. and that I would just try and keep a lid on it. But without suppressing things, I would just not kind of live in fear. And I didn't. And I think that word empowering is it's a very overused word, but I think when you're in that situation, you can really surprise yourself and find that you have you can dig deep and find these reserves in yourself that you that you didn't even know about. Yeah. Which um, I think was useful because to have cancer during a pandemic and a lockdown, is, it's very, I think cancer's quite, well, any kind of illness is really solitary because up to a point you can have lots of support, but in the end it's just you. Yeah. You're the one on that, again, another over used word journey but it's just you and the decisions you make it's only you and people can tell you what they think about what what you should do if you should take this treatment if you should take that medicine but in the end it's just you and it can be very very lonely yeah so yeah I found I found that I was stronger than I ever thought possible Mm. And I also think if I can be that way, then then lots lots of other people can. I think one of the things I think is difficult about 
being a woman, whether that's a young woman or a middle-aged woman or older woman, is that almost from cradle to grave, our society, our culture, conditions women to be afraid, to be fearful, to be insecure, Mm. to worry about things. And in young women, it's about how they look. Well, well, no, that's not just true, but it, that's when it starts. Yeah. And that follows women throughout their their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And then just as you're kind of getting the hang of things, yeah. <laughs> along comes the menopause and ageing. And women are conditioned throughout their whole lives to fear ageing. Mm. And, and I just think the energy and the time that is wasted yeah. in women worrying about or, or being encouraged to worry about in a, to live in a society where, you, you know, you've got to be perky enough, you've got to be pretty enough, you've got to be acceptable, you've got to look a certain way if you want to fit in. And I think it's a huge distraction from the business of actually living and being and achieving and loving the people you love and doing the things you want to do and going the places and and seeing all the things that you want to see. It's a huge distraction from women's immense capacities mm. when they're encouraged to worry about how they look and how heavy they are and mm-hmm. all that. And I just I just it just kind of makes me feel angry because it saps women's power. Mm. Mm-hmm. when they're constantly encouraged to worry about how they look and how wrinkly they are and how fat they are and how thin they are. Yeah. And so for me, breast cancer, and I had been through the menopause by then and I had been what I felt was quite lucky. Mm-hmm. I hadn't had a difficult one at all, apart from right at the beginning when I had the whole hot flashes thing. And, but I never had... You know, I never had night sweats or any horrible stuff, except once when I woke up and I was completely drenched one time and I was, like, really upset. I was like, oh, here here we go. This is night sweats that everyone's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realised that my whole water bottle had burst. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the only time. I just think there are so many positives in ageing. And if we can shift... If we can help, if women can help each other shift that emphasis to what they are actually powerful in. Yeah. I mean, women undersell themselves all the time. If you look what women do just over the course of a normal life, women are spectacular and they're so much more powerful than they know. But it's not valued generally. Mm. They do all the, you know, the unpaid, the unpaid labour, looking after children, looking after elderly parents, as well as juggling jobs and careers and yeah. friendships and everything else. So I found ageing, I found it to be a really positive experience and I feel like I'm happier than I've ever been. And you know how um, people say youth is wasted on the young? Well, I think, you know, wisdom's wasted on the old. <laughs> It's not because everyone benefits from wisdom. But if you, I often think, if I could just have felt like this when I was younger, you know, oh. I never had very much self confidence, and you know, it's, it took me a long, long time to start believing in myself, which I absolutely do now, and I realise that how strong I am, and 
and how powerful I can be when I, you know, when I when I want to be and when I put my mind to it and when I believe in myself more. And I just think if I could have been like this in my 20s and 30s, you know, you, you wonder you what you would have been mm. achieved, you know. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I just I just wish that women could see how how amazing they are. See because too many of us have got that critical inner voice. See when you reflect that you're more powerful than you think. So obviously this last year has brought you to a place where you really felt your strength. And you as you know, I have been there as well. And when I reflect on it. Were you actually surprised you had that strength or did you, at some point, have you said to yourself, I knew you would cope with this, Jane? (laughs) Well, yes, you're absolutely right because I come from a long line of strong coping women. Yeah. Cheerful, can do, get on with it. You know, women that didn't have very easy lives themselves. Yeah. Like most people's family a couple of generations ago, but... um, yeah, I mean, I've I've learned at the knee of some very strong women, so mm. I wasn't really surprised. But it's it's overcoming the fear to recognise your power, mm-hmm. and when you're ill, fear can really take over because you don't really know what's happening. You don't know how it's going to go, yeah. and mm-hmm. and I think though when you're ill and you realise that um, we for me I realised several things one was that this your body is an amazing vessel that carries you through your life and we spend so much time beating up on it and hating it and being disappointed in it and I just think if you're upright and you can walk around and you you know you have a sort of good general level of health you should appreciate that so much and you know I've I've heard other women talking about breast cancer saying, oh, yeah, my boobs are trying to kill me. And, <laughs> well, that sounds quite funny. I, just, I never thought like that. I never wanted to think of my body yeah. as my enemy, as something that was trying to get me because this is me. And I just thought, well, something has happened to, to cause this. Mm-hmm. And what can I do to make this body better? Yeah, And I think a lot of that is is... You have to look in yourself with compassion and kindness the same way that you would treat other people because we are very good at being good and nice and compassionate and helpful to other people, but we don't always apply that to ourselves. Yeah. So I realised that I had to I had to start looking after myself. So I knew that that would involve changes, but, you know, change is hard for everybody. But when you've had cancer, you have really good motivation yeah. <laughs> or in your case what happened when you've had an aneurysm and what happened to you you've got great motivation to think this I need to look after this body of mine and, and make changes and do whatever I can to to keep it going so yeah. so that's what I've done I've made changes to my diet I started running and I hated running with a passion I was one of these people who would look at joggers and think <laughs> that does not look like fun but uh-huh. now I've joined them and I do it every morning Good for you, Jane. Not far. I run for 15, 20 minutes before I start work. But it's just a bit of cardio. It's a bit of fresh air. I don't even, 
I don't. I wouldn't even say I enjoy it for the actual running or the fitness side of it, but I just love to be outside first thing in the morning. It just blows the cobwebs away yeah. and sets you up for the day. So I do that, and I drink two pints of juice, celery juice, mm-hmm. which most people hate, and carrot juice with ginger and lime. Mm-hmm. And I take multivitamins, and I just try and be as healthy as possible. Stop taking sugar in my tea, which was a big one for me. And, um, yeah, I just believe that if you want to, if you want to sort of feel powerful, being fitter and healthier definitely helps. So Obviously do you feel, helps that. Do you feel that what cancer life has taught you now, the lessons you've learned, the wisdom you now carry, that you're ready for whatever's next? Yeah, definitely. And I'm much more relaxed about things I've it's really helped me let go of a lot of things, like mm. just things that don't matter, things that annoy you, things that are you're just like not interested, not bothered. I'm not going to expend any energy on, on just things that are just not important. It's also made me feel a bit more fearless as well. Ah. And that's interesting. And that can take you a long way as well. Not in a sort of foolish way, but again, just in, I think it's because if you if you feel if you can cope with that, there's lots, there's lots of other things. I resonate things so can... much, I resonate so much with that. And it's almost like, as I have to remind myself now, four years since my brush with death, is like, don't forget how fearless you were in the early days, Anne. Because I feel as if I've lost the fearlessness a wee bit and I'm trying to get it back. I'm trying to hold on to it. Totally. <laughs> so and how do you think you've lost it? Oh, I don't know, maybe that's a whole other podcast, Jane, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining me and having this conversation. Good, I hope, uh, I hope it, I don't know, it'll be interesting to listen to it back, but I hope that was, it was perfect. Uh, useful. It was perfect, Good. Jane, thank you. Hello and thank you for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can do that across social media by searching Anne Hughes Ignite. If I refer to my radio show and the podcast, you can catch those on my Mixcloud. Again, just searching Anne Hughes Ignite. And if you or anybody you know want to answer this question with me, please do get in touch. Just go onto my website, annehughesignite.co.uk and fill in the contact page at the bottom and I'll be delighted to have this conversation with you too. Thank you.